0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. We're starting a new series this week called Disciple, uh, Living as a Redeemed People. Now, if you've been around church for very long, you know that word. You, you know that followers of Jesus Christ are called disciples, You might also know that followers of Jesus Christ are to make disciples. So if we're to be something and we're to make something, we should know what that is, okay? So what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is anyone who values something or someone to the degree that they gain identity from it, they create community around it, They verbally praise it, and they spend their life for it. And and we can be a disciple of anything. We can be a disciple of college football. That starts in like 24 days, and I'm so excited. Okay? See? See what I did there? Um, We can be a disciple of fashion. We can be disciple of Fortnite. Like there's all kinds of things we can be disciples of. And if we're a disciple of it, we're, we'll gain some sense of identity from it. We'll create community around it. We'll verbally praise it and we'll spend our lives for it. Now, for our purposes, we want to know what it means to value Jesus such that we're a disciple of his. Where we value Jesus to where We would gain a sense of identity from following him, uh, be a part of the community known as the church, and verbally praise uh, Jesus through worship, and be involved in what he's doing in the world through his mission. That's what we want to, to be about as disciples and as disciple makers. And so that's going to be our goal for the next four weeks, to just talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, if you are a disciple, I hope that you're challenged by this series. I hope that you're encouraged if you're not yet a follower of Christ, we're so glad you're here. And our prayer is that you would hear something from God's word that would be so compelling that you would gladly lay down everything else you value to value Jesus above all things. That really is our hope. And so I want to read First um, Peter 1. I'm just going to read a portion of it. We're going to be kind of bouncing around in First Peter 1 today. Uh, I'm going to read verses 22 through 25, and then I'll pray, and then we'll jump in. Verse 22, "'Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass.'" The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your grace um, by which we become part of your family. We don't deserve that. Uh, We could never earn that. But by your grace, we can call ourselves your children. We're born again children of God. Lord, we're so grateful. And Father, I pray that for those of us who call Jesus our Lord and, and, and Savior, that today we would know more about what it means to be a disciple, that you would show us that in your word. And Lord, for those who are not yet disciples of Christ, Father, I pray that you would just draw them to yourself, that you would work in and around this time in your word to draw men and women, boys and girls to yourself, and that people's hearts and lives would be radically changed because of this day. Lord, we have no hope in ourselves to do that. We, we cry out to you who alone can cause people to be born again. And we ask that you would do that. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Now, First Peter is a letter written by a guy named Peter who was a disciple of Jesus. And he's writing to a group of Christians who are scattered around the known world. And in verse 1, he says this, To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, And this letter was written probably less than 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So in just 30 years, the gospel has, has gone all over the known world at this time. And so Peter is writing this letter uh, to encourage them in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, and he's writing so that they will know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to see in 1 Peter 1 today is that a disciple of Jesus has been born again, and that that reality changes our lives and calls us to action. That's what we're going to see today. First, a disciple has been born again. Look at verse 23. Peter says, Peter says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Notice, he says, since you have been born again. Something has happened to these people who are professing faith in Jesus Christ. They have been born again. And that reminds us that no one is born a disciple of Jesus. I don't care who your family is. I don't care how long they've been associated with the church. I don't care whether, maybe you were born in the nursery. That doesn't matter, okay? Nobody is born a disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, we are rather born with this thing in us that the Bible calls sin. It affects our actions, what we do. It affects our attitude, how we think and feel, It affects our nature, like sin affects everything all the way down to our nature. In Ephesians 2, we read that we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so we're not born disciples of Jesus Christ. We're born rejecting God's rule and reign. We're born rejecting God's word. We're born rejecting all of that in our actions, our attitude, and all the way down to our nature. We're rejecting those things. No one is born a disciple of Jesus. That's why we have to be born again. And Peter is saying to us in verse 23, since you have been born again, he's speaking to these Christians who are receiving this letter. And he's saying that they that this has happened to them. And he doesn't go in a lot to to what they were before that, but he does talk to us about what it means for them to be Born again. I and mean, we see three things in chapter one. First, that we are ch- that we, to be born again means we were changed. And it wasn't by ourselves, it was by God. Look at verse 23 again. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now, he he sets up these two potential paths to being born again. One is perishable. The other is imperishable. And he goes on in verse 24, 25 to explain the differences between those two. Verse 24: For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. This is this perishable way by which we might try to be born again. It's the works of, uh, it's our self-effort to try to change ourselves, is what he's kind of detailing here. And he says, this is not the way you were born again. In fact, he says, we were born again by the imperishable living and abiding word of God. Then he goes on in verse 25 to say, the word of the Lord remains forever. And then he says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so what Peter wants us to understand is that if we are disciples of Jesus, that we've been born again, and we weren't born again because of our effort, because we checked all the right boxes, we're born again because of the gospel of Jesus Christ radically changing us. So if you're born again, it's not because you tried really hard. It's because God changed your life. We were born again. In fact, in verse Three, he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Peter wants us to understand if you're born again, it's not because you tried hard to do it, it's because God did it to you. And then he goes on in verses 18 and 19 to remind us, not only is this God's work through the gospel, but God's work through the gospel was costly. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers... Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And what Peter wants us to know is that if we're disciples, if we're born again, not only is this something God did for us, it's also something that cost God the life of his son. We were ransomed. And we weren't ransomed with something we could provide on our own. It wasn't the silver and gold, like we could, we could pay for it ourselves. This was something that had to have the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You see, I mentioned earlier that all of us have this thing in us that affects our actions, our attitude, and our nature, that thing called sin. And the Bible's estimation of that sin is that it is deserving of eternal wrath. Sin for God is not a small thing. Now for, for many of us, we think it's just a, a very light thing to sin against God. For, for God, it's a very serious thing. And his justice demands that his wrath be satisfied. And the way his wrath is satisfied is through the cross of Jesus Christ. We were ransomed. Not, not by something we could provide on our own, but by the precious blood of God. Of Jesus Christ. And all of this because of God's great mercy. Look at verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. It's not, it doesn't say according to our great effort. It doesn't say according to our awesomeness. It says according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. And he says, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's caused us to be born again to a hope in this life. Like as you and I face the life that's marked out for us, we face it with a living hope. But there's more. It's not just that Jesus gives us hope in this life. He gives us hope in the next. Verse 4 to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So a disciple is born again. We've been changed by God's power, not our own. We've been ransomed by Jesus' blood, not our effort. All of this because of God's mercy to a hope in this life and in the next. And let, let me let me say to you, this can be true for any of us. like It may be that you come in here today and you think, man, you don't know my story. You don't know all the things I've done. And God's grace would say, it doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what Christ has done. And and you don't know some of the stories in this room. Like there, There are some stories in this room that are just crazy town. And yet God has been so good I've had the privilege of taking some people through the mill, and and after the res- after the renovations and stuff that that have happened, and and they didn't see it before, and so I'm showing them this. I'm like, "Do you see?" And they're like, "Yeah, this is great." I'm like, "No, no, you don't understand. <laughs> like, you don't know. Like, this was like crazy in here, and now it's fun and awesome and exciting." I think sometimes we can think that way about other people, and. You know, we look at somebody who's been born again and we're like, oh, well, yeah, they're born again. No, they're born again. And this can be true for any of you. And if if you think, man, there's no way that could be true of me, then I've got great news for you. Now, the other extreme in response to this is I don't need that. And that's almost more dangerous than there's no way it could happen. Because at least this is coming from a place of humility. This is coming from a place of pride. The Bible says God opposes the proud. And I don't know if you know this, but you don't want him opposed to you. But this good news of the gospel that according to his great mercy, he can cause us to be born again to a living hope, it's available to anyone who trusts Christ today. And and again, maybe maybe that's your story. You've not trusted Christ yet. This can be true. You can be born again. Not because you earn it, not because you deserve it, but according to his great mercy. Sin forgiven, life changed in this life and forevermore. A disciple is born again. Now being born is not the end of the story any more than. It, you know, it's, it's that way with, with our lives. We're, we're born and we're born to live, and Peter calls us to more in verse 13. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct." Here's Peter's reminding us: Not only is a disciple born again, a disciple seeks a changed life. A changed life. Now, these verses contain some weighty words. Be holy as I am holy. Now, that are you serious right now? Like that's for real? I mean, many of us look at this like extra credit Christianity, right? Like, like this. Well, that's for that's for like people who are really into this. No, this is for people who are disciples. We're called to this. We're called to holiness. We're called to obedience. We're called to that. I was having a conversation with a guy one time, and we were talking about obedience. He said, yeah, but I know obedience is not a big deal to you. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? He said, yeah, you're all about grace. You're all about, it's all grace. It's all grace. I said, whoa. Like, grace is not opposed to obedience. Grace is also not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. It's what grace is opposed to. And a disciple of Jesus Christ is not only born again, a disciple of Jesus Christ seeks a changed life. And, and we see this. Notice the commands here. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, that word conformed means uh, it's taken from metalwork where you squeeze metal around a form. And it's saying we, as as those who have been born again, as disciples of Jesus, we're not to be molded around our former lives anymore. But, verse 15, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So there's a call here to holiness. This word holy means set apart, different. And the standard for that is not you, it's not your coworker, It's not your really hyper-religious friend. And what very often happens when we think about holiness is we kind of think, well, I'm better than them, and I could never be them, but neither of those people are the standard for holiness. God is. He says, as he who called you is holy, and he says, you also be holy. When? In all your conduct. So the standard is God. The sphere is all the time. Seen and unseen, known and unknown. We're to be holy. And again, this is not extra credit Christianity. This is what we're called to. And Peter is assuming that if we're born again, our lives are going to reflect our Father. He also assumes that our hearts are going to revere our Father. Look at verse 17. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So not only are our lives to reflect our Father, our hearts are to revere Him. That's what this word fear means. It doesn't mean we're scared, although that would be an appropriate response. I mean I think sometimes we forget like he is a God of love, He is a God of grace, He is a God of mercy, and He is God. He can do whatever he pleases. And we're to walk with reverence toward him. A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, it's going to be on the screen. He said, the greatness of God rouses fear within us, but his goodness encourages us not to be afraid of him. To fear and not be afraid, that is the paradox of faith. So Peter calls us as disciples to reflect God with our lives as he is holy, so we are to be holy in all our conduct, and to revere God with our hearts that We are to live in a a fear and reverence of him in all of our life. And again, lofty commands. Be holy as I am holy. Don't miss the gospel here. Look at verse 13. Preparing your minds for action, uh, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not partially, not 80-20, fully. Our only hope for a changed life is God's grace. And Peter calls us to it. He calls us to a changed life. And he calls us to set our hope fully on the grace of God. We're not born again by our self-effort. We don't live again by our self-effort. We are born and live with our hope fully on the grace of God. So a disciple is born again. A disciple seeks a changed life. And finally, a disciple who is born again loves earnestly. Look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, verse 22 can start to sound uh, confusing. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, now, that can start to sound like my soul gets purified when I obey. And so what we start to look for, which is what it's saying, but what we start to look for is all the boxes we have to check so that our soul can be purified. And we think if I, only, if I don't check all the boxes, and then we start to think it's on me to purify my soul. But I don't think that's what the verse is saying because that would contradict the rest of the New Testament. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, the truth is, a, is a, a very important concept in that section. It's going to get down to the word of the Lord that remains forever. And then he, at the end of verse 25, it says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. What was the good news of the gospel? That our salvation is by grace through faith, not by effort. And so when we obey the truth of the gospel, we understand it's not about me to purify my soul. It's simply about me reaching out my hand to receive a gift. And when I receive the gift of the gospel, I'm born again, my soul is purified, and I, trusting in God's grace, seek to live a changed life and love earnestly. one writer described it this way. If you think about, if I walk up to you and I say, if you reach out your hand, I'll give you a quarter. Now, a is not that impressive anymore, right? You can't even play a video game for a quarter anymore. But if I said, reach out your hand, I'll give you a quarter, you haven't earned the quarter. You haven't created the quarter. You just reached out your hand and I gave you a quarter. That's, the, that's what's going on here. Your obedience to the truth is reaching out the hand of faith and God changes your heart. That's what's going on here, and what happens is that after that, when that takes effect in our lives, we love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He talks about a brotherly love; it's like siblings. Now, you might have small siblings, and you might wonder what brotherly love actually looks like. Now, you might be thinking, "Could he not come up with a better illustration? Could we not talk about something else here?" Um, but this is this is a family love because. We are family together. God is our Father. We are brothers and sisters together. And it's talking about a love that's family love. And notice it says love one another earnestly. Not passively, not when we feel like it, not kind of happy, but earnestly. There's to be intent and earnestness about loving one another. And then it says from a pure heart. And so often we can love someone An impure heart. We can love to get, we can love to maneuver, we can love to manipulate. This is a love that is from a pure heart. It's a love that is a sacrificial servant kind of love. If you've been around Exodus very long, you you know that we are what uh, the theological word for what we are is called complementarian. Here's what that means. It means we believe that men and women are equally made in the image of God. Men are not better. Women are not better. We believe that both men and women are made equally in the image of God. And then we believe that in the, in the home, a husband is to be the head of the home. And what that means is not dictator, ruler, authority. What it means is that the husband as the head of the home is to sacrifice, be a sacrificial servant leader so that his wife flourishes and thrives. And then the response of the wife to that sacrificial servant leadership is that she is to support and encourage him so that he can flourish and thrive as well. And in this dance of sacrificial service and sacrificial service, we find this beautiful reality that points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when when Peter says that disciples are to love earnestly from a pure heart, that's one of the places that has to happen. Men, men. We are to be sacrificial servant leaders in our homes. We're to love Ephesians 5 tells us we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church. That's what we're to do, man. It's what we're called to. That's one, one way in which we love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And loving one another is hard. It's hard because we're different. It's hard because we value things differently. It's hard because our hearts are not always pure. But a disciple of Jesus Christ is born again, (laughs) seeks a changed life, and seeks to love one another with a pure heart. And so here's the question. And it's a really important question. The question is this, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? I mean, there's a lot riding on that question. There's a lot riding on that question. Our hope in this life is writing on this question. Peter says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You want hope in this life? Be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But the next life is writing on this question as well. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven. For you. There's a lot of things that could give us a fleeting sense of hope in this life. There's nothing in this earth other than Jesus Christ that will give us hope in the next. So, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Have you been born again? Do you seek a changed life? Do, do you seek to reflect your Father in walking in holiness, not in perfection? But in progress, do you seek to love earnestly from a pure heart? That's what it means to be a disciple. So are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Now, again, it may be that you've played church your whole life, but you're not a disciple. It may be that you made a decision long ago, but there's never been any real form of discipleship where you've really wanted to follow Christ with your life. I want to call you to that today. A disciple is born again, and that reality affects everything about our lives. February 10th, 1996, Cheryl and I uh, were married. Can you imagine the end of that ceremony, us looking at one another going, it's been fun. It's been a great day. Maybe I'll see you. Can you imagine? None of us, none of us would envision a relationship that important having that little effect on the rest of our lives. But so often, in our culture particularly, we can think, I made a decision, doesn't matter if I'm a disciple. Have you been born, are you a disciple? Have you been born again? Do you seek a changed life? Are you loving one another earnestly from a pure heart? That's the call. And then the second question is, where's your hope? It may be that you're looking at this list, and it's a serious list. Like a changed life, be holy as I'm holy. Are you serious? Love earnestly from a pure heart, for real? You might look at this list and go, man, there is no way. Or you might look at this list and go, yeah, I can handle that. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to do it. And maybe that's been your understanding of Christianity. Try hard and do it. Well, if that's your understanding of the Bible... I've got really great news for you. Our hope is not in our trying hard and doing it. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Now, now, what happens when we think our hope is in trying hard and doing it, it ends in either pride because we think we succeed or despair because we know we don't. And then we wonder if everyone else is really doing it or are they faking it. Our hope is not in us. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And throughout 1 Peter 1, there have been these two paths, perishable seed, imperishable, abiding word of God. Setting our hope fully on the grace of Jesus or this seemingly despairing call to obey in our own power. The only option that gives us hope is not hoping in ourselves, but hoping in Jesus Christ alone. And so for us to be disciples, we've got to hope in Jesus. Where's your hope today? Where's your hope today? Where's your hope to be holy today? Where's your hope to love earnestly today? If your hope is in you, good luck. If your hope is in yourself, like, it's just not going to happen. But if our hope is in Jesus, we'll start to see life change. We'll start to look more like our dad. We'll start to look more like our father in heaven. We'll start to walk in such a way that we revere him in our lives. We'll start to treat one another like family and love each other earnestly from a pure heart all because the living and abiding word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, has radically changed us and caused us to be born again. Man, my prayer for us as disciples is that we would value Jesus. My prayer for us as disciples is that we would value him such that our, all of our identity would come from what, who he is and what he has done for us, that we have been born again to a new and living hope. That's what I want for us. Let's pray to that end. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us and your kindness. Jesus, you are so good. We're grateful for the reality that you have ransomed us by your precious blood and you caused us to be born again to a living hope that you have an inheritance that's kept in heaven for us, that we're guarded. Lord, such good news. And even when we're called to this standard that just seems so lofty to the to holiness lord we're called to revere you lord even in that we're to set our hope fully on the grace that's in christ jesus so lord would you would you just remind us of what we've been called to and would you free us from being afraid of it would you free us from being afraid of it so that we might walk with you in faith and your power and your glory and Lord, would you do that? Father, we want to be the people you've called us to be, and we want to be involved in making more disciples who are what you've called us to be. So Lord, would you do all this for your glory in our lives? We pray in Christ's name, amen.